Let us now turn to our scripture reading for the day, to Genesis chapter 20, and uh, we'll be reading the chapter, it's only 18 verses, but we will be reading the um, whole chapter. So Genesis 18, turn there if you can, Genesis 18, 1 through, uh, Genesis 20, 1 through 18. Beginning to read with verse 1, hear now the word of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed uh, and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocent of my innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all that are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in your in view that you have done, that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she truly is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it, sh and it came to pass when God called us, caused us to wander from my father's home, that I said to her, "This is for kindness that you would that you should do for me in every place wherever we go. Say of me, He is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my hand is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. So Abraham stayed, prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding today. <clears throat> the title of the sermon today is Fear Sin for the Sake of of your family. Fear sin for the sake of your family. Do we have a love for our families? Then we ought 
to see fear sin? Do we have a hope in our families for abundance, for prosperity? Then we ought to fear sin. Do we really fear sin? Of course not. None of us really fear. The moment that we're tempted, we latch on to the temptation, at least for a season, and think about it and ponder it and think how that would be a good idea. And then perhaps when our good senses get a hold of us, uh, the understanding comes into our brains that this is a very dangerous thing because God is real, because God loves righteousness, and because God has the capacity to antagonize and bring judgment upon unrighteousness, especially the unrighteousness of his people. God has a special zeal for his people. God will not allow his people to sin with impunity if he loves them. If he doesn't love them, uh, like with Judas Iscariot, he lets them go, he lets them run. He gives them free reign. But if God loves us, he brings us under his chastisement. Many scriptures detail that in the word. So don't get depressed when the Lord doesn't work out things for you necessarily, especially if you've been entertaining the prospects for sin. But rather realize that God loves you, and that's why he's doing these things. Now, in this story today, we see a great illustration of that. We see both how Abraham... <clears throat> is given over to his weakness and his frailty. We think Abraham is no mere man. He's a patriarch. In fact, he's identified here in this passage as a prophet of God. We think of David, another prophet of God, who yet committed adultery with Bathsheba. How can the people of God be so weak in and of themselves when God draws back just a moment or just a short distance from them? And gives them over to themselves. How can we though be so weak as creatures? But we see from the scriptures that we are. And so that gives us even more reason to fear sin. So that we might be blessed by God. In this case in verse 2 we see how Abraham says once again. We saw how he did this in Egypt. Abraham said of Sarah his wife she is my sister explains later on and gives the fullest explanation of how Abraham was fearful because of Sarah's beauty. We talked about this when we dealt with him and Pharaoh and how of all the uh, Egypt was such a cosmopolitan uh, country at that time, one of the great civilizations of the ancient world. Uh, Egypt had plenty of women and all of these women um, or at least the aristocracy had the opportunity to use cosmetics in a way that much of the ancient world did not use. So if anything, the Egyptian women were adorned with a, uh, cosmetic beauty. And yet when Abraham and Sarah came into that land, Sarah and her natural beauty attracted the agents of Pharaoh. And they right away, uh, like, like, uh, like insects being attracted to a, a live body with some blood in it, uh, these uh, these uh, agents of Pharaoh were were uh, obtained, uh, uh, brought the news of Sarah back to the king. So uh, Pharaoh. So we see the same thing basically happened here in Gerar. Now Gerar was a much smaller kingdom, it was basically a city only. So 
Abimelech, in a sense, was like a city mayor in, in modern-day America, except that he had more power and um, uh, he had, he had the, uh, much more uh, judicial power over his people uh, than a modern-day mayor has. But, I mean, in terms of the size of the community and the... The, uh, the glory that he has speaks of it speaks of Abimelech having uh, given Abraham uh, many hundreds of ounces of of, go, of uh, silver as a way to propitiate the wrath of God re regarding this whole thing. But you notice here that this was silver and not gold. Uh, Abimelech was a wealthy a wealthy leader. He was a powerful potentate, but it was measured. It was proportional to the size of his city-state. It wasn't anywhere near the riches of Pharaoh. But he was very significant, and he had a lot of power over his people. Uh, but we also see with Abimelech that he was also a man of weakness. We see the prophet Abraham, he was a man of some weakness, despite God's calling unto him. Abimelech, we see, uh, is also a man of weakness, and so um, he immediately draws Sarah into his net, uh, but uh, he's not so voracious that he uh, attacks her in the, the first night. She's brought into the court. She remains some distance from him, and yet the obvious potential is there that he can take her and bring her into his, he can marry her in effect anytime that he wants. So he is the sovereign over his own house, over his own life. So it looks. But then there's a certain dream that appears. And Abimelech, all of this is going on very wonderfully for Abimelech. He's the master of his own domain. He can do basically whatever he wants. He can have as many wives as he wants. He can have his agents accomplish his will, whatever he wants, until he dreams a dream. He's in the midst of his sleep that night, and God comes to him, and um, says in verse 3 that God comes to Abimelech in a dream, and says, God, God he often, he doesn't, and God, God often does not waste any words. So he, the first thing he says to Abimelech <laughs> is, indeed, you are a dead man. <laughs> you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, this is somewhat humorous, too, because probably in normal circumstances, Abimelech didn't really care uh, about what the legal status was of a woman. But uh, in this case, God tells him that this, this woman is a man's wife. So his his uh, his sin is uh, doubly uh, weighted in the sense that he's both an adulterer, he's an easy, a common adulterer, with wanting to just have as many women as he can, or as he thinks is appropriate, and then the, the bonds of marriage are not really all that sacred to him too. But God, when God says that all of a sudden there's a new sacred nature or countenance to the idea of marriage. We see that the same kind of, of, uh, of uh, breakdown has happened today in modern America. What, what, are, what, what is the sanction?
chastity and the bonds of marriage. It's not much in the eyes of the typical American today. What we want, many people think they can get, they can take for themselves. It doesn't really matter. We see that in a sanctified society, there's a greater fear of these things. But in a less sanctified society, there's more wantonness or a lack of control in this regard. And so, um, in a biblical city, there was not that much control. But God comes to him and he speaks to him. And just the very voice of God in his dream brings Abimelech up short. And uh, so Abimelech thinks that he will make his, uh, his argument. But in making his argument, we see the second point that Abimelech's righteousness is, is a mirage. Abimelech wants to represent himself before the Lord as somebody who is basically righteous, who understands these things, who is walking on safe ground because he's walking in the ways of this God of the dream. But God very quickly reminds Abimelech that uh, he's not all that sharp and that what, what good he is doing is only because of the Lord of God's grace. Uh, we see here that God says in verse 6 regarding the Bimelech's plea uh, what Abraham said and uh, what Bimelech is thinking God says to him in the dream yes I know that you do this in the quote integrity of your heart but for I also withheld you from sinning against me therefore I did not let you touch her. You know, we, we, we even, what this is a wonderful illustration, a wonderful window into the sovereignty of God in our lives. Even in those places where we think we have done something virtuous, even where we think our hearts have operated in a positive way. If we, if we take back the curtains, if we open that up just a little bit, we see that even in these areas where we think we have done something with virtue, we see behind that the strength of the Lord, that the Lord has given us the, uh, the sense to abide by that virtue or the sense to go in the way of that virtue or in this case with Abimelech. God simply restrained him by the circumstances of his life, by the thoughts of his mind, God restrained him from doing the thing that he might have done all too easily. And this reminds us of how God works in our lives. We, we ought to fear sin because it's, it's a wrong thing to do. We ought to fear sin because we know God doesn't want us to do it. But we also ought to fear sin because of the sovereignty of God. Because God sees right through all of our thoughts and all of our ways. Abimelech thought that he had some ground of righteousness to argue with or to persuade the Lord, but God shows him he saw through that. The Lord is omniscient. The Lord knows everything. There is nothing that is hid from the Lord. We can see the sin in our minds, and we, we try to pretend to the watching world that we're different than that. We, are, we really aren't licentious. We really aren't uh, robbers and thieves. We, we really aren't covetous of other people's good fortune or other other people's good blessings. But in that sense, we know that there's no pretending before the Lord. There's no hiding. The Lord sees through us. He sees through us from beginning to end. And in the end, the Lord not only sees through us, but the Lord orchestrates the causality of our lives so that 
if we if we if we are restrained, he is able to restrain us. And when we are restrained uh, from doing this or that that we might have done wrong, it's because God brings certain causes to us. Maybe he maybe he directs the viruses of this world to bring us down into some temporal momentary sickness. And in our weakness, the last thing we can think about is to go forth in our strength, the strength of our, the robust nature of our humanism, and go forth and do something that is against God's law or against his righteousness. All we can think about is, is uh, getting to the bathroom to, to find a place to, to vomit or to, <laughs> to dispense with uh, the ablutions of our lives because of how sick we are. Or... Uh, God, God can use uh, good things or bad things both to, to, to slow us down and our tracks uh, from the sins of our lives. When he brings physical problems to our lives, does he not remind us of how we are utterly dependent upon him? And as we, met, as we think about that, we're more aware of the fact that, it, well, if we're utterly dependent upon him, maybe we'll have to fear him with a greater sensitivity a greater sense of awareness. And so he, he humbles us. And he makes us more malleable, more workable in his hands like clay. He makes us more workable so that we are able to be worked up under righteousness instead of sin. When you look at the world, you see, in our own day, we see so much, so many things going on politically. And it just we 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 say, ask ourselves: Is there no is there no restraining the evil that we see abroad? Um, today, there's a federal case going on in Washington D.C., and there's a great fear on the part of the prosecution that the people of Washington D.C. are so corrupt that it's it will be impossible to get a jury that is more concerned about righteousness than they are simply about the waywardness and the, the, the wantonness of their own sensitivities, their own their own desires. Now think about that. I, I heard some news person this past week saying that in some, uh, some, some election where there was almost nobody voted for uh, a certain candidate that, uh, across the whole nation, that yet the city of Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, they voted for the, the worst candidate because they just, they, as, a, as a population, they have, they've become so uh, entranced by the power of the federal government. As, and so most of them are dependent monetarily, economically, upon all of these programs, upon all the money that pours out of Washington based upon their taxation. So they tax the whole country and all that money goes to Washington and then they pay off these people and the people are almost uh, uh, in, uh, insensitive to right and wrong and to what the typical American is. As bad as the whole America is, in many ways ethically, Washington, D.C. is even more corrupt. They, 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 they have a kind of a uh, uh, coordinated economy there that is not dependent upon the normal rises and falls of the economy of America because it's orchestrated by the government, the federal government, which is so strong. And so we can say to ourselves, what hope do we have? 
what hope do we have? Well, this scripture tells us or teaches us that God is working even in such situations as this. And here with Abimelech, God works effectively so that this man that ought to be without restraint is brought down into a very humbling, humbling condition. Now that brings us to our third point here. And then it flows really from the second point, but uh, it argues that our every virtue is a condition of grace, especially when we think about paganism. And we think, well, how, how can we possibly survive in a world which is not ador uh, adoring of the Lord or given over to worship of the Lord? Um, um, we know Abraham devised a certain strategy of dealing with paganism as he sojourned from um, Haran now to Israel and then around the southern parts of Israel, Egypt, and these places. Uh, Abraham didn't really trust the Lord to guide him and to be his God. And so Abraham devises a strategy, and it's explained here, it's explained here fuller than it was in the case of Sarah and Pharaoh. But what we see is that, um, that, that God is working despite, despite misconceptions and confusion. We see God working in Abraham's life. God has a desire to protect his families. And even when his families go astray, even when they become somewhat seduced by their own foolishness, their own ignorance, God is still active with them. And so in this case, uh, God blesses Abraham despite Abraham's sin, because God has a plan which is bigger than Abraham, and, and bigger than Abraham's sin. Um, <clears throat> we realize here that in the world that paganism... It's not our biggest problem. The living God is our biggest problem. We may think that our biggest problem are the Democrats or the, the, the liberal Democrats or the liberal Republicans or people that just don't, on either side, either party, pay attention to it. But what we see in this case is that uh, Abraham's and Abimelech's real issue was the living God who really existed, who really was omniscient, who understood and could penetrate the minds and the thoughts of every human being, who knew right from wrong, and who could not be persuaded by human rhetoric. We think that if we build up a good argument that maybe we can convince each other that light is dark and darkness is light, that sweetness is, uh, is sour and the sour is sweet, but God says, woe be unto that man that makes the one for the other. Woe be unto that man, because you see, God understands, God is there, God exists, and God is not confused. And so, brothers and sisters, fear the Lord and fear his truth. You cannot confuse God if God is not confused. He knows right from wrong. And so even if all of your neighbors and all of your family and all of the people that make some impression upon you, even if they all disagree with God, Know for certain that God's ways are certain and that God's ways will work themselves out. In this case, it says later on that God had even closed up the wounds of the women of Gerar. 
as long as Sarah was kept as a captive in the king's house. And uh, he only explains this at the very end of the passage here. And so he has, he has Abraham pray uh, for Gerar. And he prays for Abimelech that God would lighten his arm of justice from its heavy application to the people of that city, to the kingdom of Abimelech. And so, um, in a wonderful sense, we see at the end of this that where God has Abraham to pray for this city, um, it's remarkable. It says in verse 17, So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the houses of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah. Abraham's wife. It's a, it's a wonderful, it's a, so, such an ironic thing here at the end of this, that God uses Abraham as his priest to intercede for these very people whom he thought would be overpower him. He, he was more afraid of them than he was afraid of the Lord. But God brings him through that by his grace. And then God has Abraham pray. So that we see here that even the pagans of this world, in some sense, even the pagans of this world, are dependent upon the prayers of the elect for their well-being. We know for certain that we, God's people, are dependent upon his power for our well-being. But we see by this illustration that even the world who who thinks that it can ignore the Lord and separate itself and live secularly from him without any kind of penalty being paid. Even they are dependent upon his grace and his mercy unless they would be destroyed. And it shows how easily God can dispense his justice in a sense. God closed up. He made all the women of Gerar, at least the women of the royal house, uh, it's not exactly clear, but we know that there was a, a sterility that was uh, that was dispensed or put down upon the people of that city because of the sin of their lives. And God did this so easily. Why are we so afraid of the world? Why are we so afraid of the unbelievers? Why are we so afraid of our own fears? that we cannot trust the Lord in his power and in his might to do whatsoever he would. <clears throat> I know a man who tried to save himself, who ruined himself. Um, his name was Robert, and I knew him earlier in my life. Uh, he thought it was a fine thing. He was a Calvinist after a fashion. He really enjoyed reading Calvinistic books. He enjoyed discussions and arguments with people based upon Calvinism. But the problem with Robert was that he really didn't fear the Lord. All of his Calvinism, all of his religion was being done on the basis of his own common sense, what he thought. He was the ruler in the sense of his own house. So everything that he did, all of his theological considerations, all of his discussions... They were all done on the basis of what he thought was right and wrong. He really didn't fear the Lord. He really didn't step back. 
and put his own life under the microscope of the Lord. I came in contact with this man, and um, uh, at first I was pretty persuaded of his sanctification, of his importance for the church, because he was at least interested in the things of Calvinism, which this was a Calvinistic church, so I thought that was a good thing. But as time went on, I began to be more and more afraid that there was something wrong in Robert's life. Ultimately, it broke out in the open, <clears throat> and, um, uh, and was it a case that even went to Presbytery at that time? And Pres that he, he not only had a canonal exhorting him to, to that he needed God's Presbytery. That wonderfully, Presbyteries don't always do things wonderfully, but they, in this case, they did, and they warned him that uh, that he needed to get a deeper control of his life, that he really, that there were real questions about whether or not he really loved God. After all, you see, the love of God is more important than even Calvinistic theology. A Calvinistic theology should come from a love of God, but sometimes we see in people, we see a, a, a confusion where they they love the, the theology, they love the order of the theology, they love the symmetry of the theology, the depth of the theology, the beauty of the theology. They love that more than the Lord. So uh, I warned him, and there was a there was a time when he, he was he thought, well, if you know, if I'm out of sorts with with this church, I just need to leave. And I went to him and I said, Robert, you need this church so badly. You may not see it in your life right now, but in order to get control of your life, you really need to humble yourself and be here where these other people love you. And uh, yes, things have not worked out perfectly in recent history, but they love you and they want the best for you. So humble yourself and learn how to live with them and you will be blessed. But again, Robert had a different way of doing these things. He did not fear the Lord enough. He thought he had more control over his life. So he left the church. And in a very short order, the next, in the next two years, I saw his marriage break down. Because you see, there were needs there. There were things that he was not attendant to. There were things that he was not, he did not see with all of his humanistic wisdom. He was a fairly successful man. But uh, he did not see enough. And so his marriage broke down. Um, he got divorced. His, his children, he didn't realize that he was not all of this time he thought he was doing so well. He wasn't really reaching his children because in the same way that he didn't really love God, he didn't really love people around him. He thought he did. He acted like he did, but he didn't. And so there was no, in order to really feed the people around us, our, our wives and our, our husbands and our children, we need to really love them. We, we can't fake it. You can't fake love. You can't fake the love of God and you can't fake the love of man. Robert had a problem with love. He did not love God and he did not love men. And so uh, his children went with his wife. And then Robert died. He went from a man who appeared so successful on the, on the outside of life to a person whose, whose whole family was taken away from him. 
and who ultimately himself died because he thought like um, some of the folks of the Bible they could play games with God and not pay the price brothers and sisters we've been focusing on our families lately and the significance of the family and the fact that there is no substitute for family righteousness which comes down to then individual righteousness especially righteousness of mothers and fathers and then in terms of that especially the righteousness of fathers as they are the patriarchal heads of their own families and there is no substitute there's no substitute for real righteousness and real love of God I think back on this and I think I compare Jesus with these types of people these characters that we see in the Bible and with Jesus Christ we see such brilliance such transparent righteousness such transparent love of God that he is a marvel to us at the very point at which we are failures and he's an example of how why and why we must have his righteousness we must have his life as a substitute for our own we must have his life as a substitute in terms of its righteousness and we must have his life as a substitute for us in terms of his willingness to die for us because all of us in our sin all of us in our Abimelech kind of dis dissolution and counterfeit righteousness all of us are worthy in and of ourselves and at the heart of our lives all of us are worthy of the wrath of God and his death given over to us all everyone except his only begotten son even the Lord Jesus Christ so as we watch Abraham here with some of his uh, profligacy and we see Abimelech with his profligacy we cannot compare ourselves to them for help we must compare ourselves to Jesus and find uh, this one who was able to save us even to the uttermost to base our lives upon him to have him help us to love the living God with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our strength not because we can ever do that but because he has done that and he can be our vicarious Savior through him we can love the Father with all of our hearts and our souls and our strength and that kind of love is life infusing it's life generating it's vitality itself he says I have come that you might have life and life abundantly in the Gospel of John and so he shines brilliantly by comparison with all of these characters either within or without the covenant let us let us not mince words with each other this morning brothers and sisters if you want to save your family you must fear the Lord how much of that do we see today in modern America how much cultivation of the fear of God do we see amongst our neighbors and our friends and our leaders do people value that do they esteem it at all hardly if this does not come to you through the grace of God through the Word of God through Jesus Christ and his word you will not have it and so I pray that you would be serious about this and take this seriously in your life and when you're tempted 
to go this way or that way, deviating from the way of the Lord. You'll think of King Abimelech and his experience one night with the Lord in his dreams. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that we would be marvelously arrested by thy grace, by thoughts of thy fear. We pray, O Lord, that thou wouldst help us to fear thee as thou art, fear thee in thy might, fear thee in thy uh, as thou canst be a psychologist unto us, and thou canst penetrate our minds and our hearts. There is nothing hid from thee, O Lord, in all the earth, especially not the heart and the mind of men. So we pray that thou wouldst be our God, that thou wouldst be merciful unto us, and that in that mercy thou wouldst raise us up to the happiest possible lives in terms of our families. Bless us. In this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.